Welcome to Empowered Mind Body Inspiration. The mind is the map to wholeness, wellness, health. The heart is the key to genius and inspiration. Join me and my guests as we explore how to release and rewire into who you truly are unique, whole, and empowered. Please like, share, and subscribe. Spiral up, spiral out. Welcome, everyone. Today we have Jeffrey Biesecker, a holistic behavioral coach who guides individuals in reshaping unhelpful, damaging behaviors and negative thought patterns. Welcome, Jeffrey. Thank you for having me, Jane. It's a pleasure to join you today, and I look forward to sharing this discussion with you. Right? I'm so excited. It's one of my favorite subjects. I find it intriguing and you know, just to empower ourselves with this information is, is incredible. So let's jump right into it because you have such amazing knowledge. What is subconscious disempowerment? Subconscious disempowerment, since we're bridging that gap, is anything in that conscious realm that diminishes our ability to connect with those energies throughout our life? Sometimes that's our speech. Sometimes that's our emotional reactivity to things. Sometimes that is just simply the beliefs and views we hold toward our ability to act with agency throughout life. Right. And sometimes those beliefs no longer serve us and they have become like a program that runs in the unconscious mind. So much of what we do, how we present ourselves in life is based on the outside patterns we learn outside patterns that are given to us from, you know, our parents, our environment, society, our own beliefs. We start to form patterns. That's not to say we can't form productive habits, productive rituals, productive routines. But so often, as you mentioned, we get stuck in that subconscious belief or that buried auto response that we so often just float through life. Right. And so just a question, is this my belief or is it someone else's belief? Where did this come from? Can often empower us. So often. And, you know, I feel we have to form what, you know, I like to view from my perspective as mind state awareness, just simply being aware of what's happening in those thought processes, you know, that extends out into how we respond and react, connect emotionally that, you know, responds and moves out into how we form relationships with others, relationship to our own way of being in this world, in this universe, in this life. Yeah. So what, you know, often we get triggered and, I think if we just count to five, it gives us a chance to decide if this is a pattern or a response that makes sense, right? Because the unconscious mind is so quick to react. So often, yes, as you mentioned, we're acting on that triggered notion of this is how I should behave in this moment. This is what I should think in this moment. This is the emotional reaction I should have in this moment is often a pattern belief we've learned, you know, as I mentioned before, 
in our environment, in our upbringing, in our social conditioning. Where then do we hit that pause button to say, I'm taking a moment to go inward and assess where this aligns with what I believe, what I hold as a core value. Yeah. Do you have a, you know, a time in your life where you, at real aha moment when you experienced this, where you realized, you know, something was triggering you or, or even how you became so passionate about this? A time in my life specifically that happens daily when we move into a present state of being. When we move into a present state of being, we're aware of how we're interacting with the world around us. Now, for me, you know, I'm going back. Everything we do in life, including how we relate to our experiences in business, how we form relationships with others, everything we do is created, influenced by two factors, our thoughts and how we relate to them. Our thoughts form our processes. They form and guide every choice we make. The choices we make create the reality we live, our behaviors. For me, you know, I go back and, you know, I've been curious about what, you know, happens when we do these processes. I'm curious about how that interacts. I'm experienced a lot of things and entered the water and participated in a variety of career paths or life enriching endeavors throughout my journey. You know, the key to me is embracing that journey. What do I want to experience? What do I not want to experience? Often becomes the simple choice we're presented. Yet sometimes that subconscious voice, that voice of the ego, the voice of, you know, some other inner shadow knowing speaks and interrupts that. You know, every event from my past has brought me into alignment with where I am present, the right now. This is where I create, you know, where all of our potential exists in the right now. We don't go back and react with the past. We don't go at, back and interact and, and connect with that past, we can only relate to what has happened in that past. Where have I been holding significant value, but everything in that past is also meaningless because I can't form a purposeful intention from it presently. I can only respond as a result of it rather than reacting to it so often one reaches for meaning in this story and this story being allowed to unfold being written from the outside do we change that and become the active author of it creating new chapters as we go to merely document where we've been along the way right so you're saying create your future from the moment without any of that baggage. right now the future yeah. will unfold and take care of itself now can we plan for that future sure do we have expectation for that future sometimes what ideally moves us forward is that ability to say 
This is the purposeful intention that I hope creates significant value and meaning both for myself and sometimes for others. Yeah. So often, you know, um, before I was aware of this, I would have a plan for the future and would, you know, do things to manifest it. And yet there was that little voice, you know, in the back of your mind that was like, but are you smart enough? You were, are you, are you capable of this? Because of things, because of programs, maybe from grade three that I'd still hung on to. Mm. So that's what you're saying to be aware of and let go of those limiting beliefs so that you can be in the moment and create something new for yourself. Yes. Ideally, you know, we have to start considering where this belief took shape. You know, is it presently aligned with what I value and what creates significant meaning, bringing me fulfillment You know, so often we root that in notions of success, failure, various other things that diminish, that subconsciously disempower. Takes away our ability to simply be present, be active, and create from that point of right now. Yeah, exactly. So what do you suggest people do to become aware of these limiting beliefs. Just you know, listen. I'm, I'm going to reel back a little, you know, I first became curious about the nature of our beliefs, why and how we form meaning, what factors become the intentions, motivations, and actions, which create our sense of reality, why we create so much of the suffering and the sense of struggle which so often sabotages our sense of joy and fulfillment, our simple sense of joy and fulfillment. You know, to me, that elevates us into those higher states of vibrational being we so often speak to. That creates that momentum, that growth, that movement, that evolution. When we get out of the way of that, when we don't step into those patterns, those beliefs, And those disempowering things that take away our ability to engage that sense of agency. Well, right. Let's talk about vibration because I mean, you, if you want to create and if you want to move into true genius and I, I, I feel that comes from connecting to the unified field, you have to let go of this. And in order to connect to something greater, right? Like in order to, like you can't have fear and, and what you're talking about happen at the same time. The scientist and inventor Nikola Tesla tells us, if we want to know the secrets of the universe, not just us, not others, but the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy frequency and vibration energy is everything when we connect with that energy when we allow the sources of that energy to flow without restricting it without limiting it without judging it without putting expectation on it 
it doesn't carry that weight that slows it down. Looking at that in the terms of that simple law of attraction, what we think we become, the energy we place our belief in becomes the energy not only we attract, but also the energy we emit out to others. That's all based on where we're present, where we're at, how we're being, the words we say, the things we do, our actions, are they in alignment in a state that creates that sense of movement and motion? Yeah, that's how are we holding them back? Yeah. And so that's how important it is. It's like, it's you, you, we can't important, but it's back. not important if we yeah. put more emphasis on the importance importantness of it we put that weight on it we put that expectation yeah. we put that judgment it becomes in some senses disempowering it can often become disempowering right just because we place too much emphasis on it or like weight, like you say, too much expectation. Yes. You know, that expectation and judgment. What is that? We're trying to enforce our will. We're trying to impose this idea of controlling and manipulating. Is that a productive state? Can we create from that state? Are others drawn to that state? When we think of our own intuitive notion of that, so often the answer can be no. Yeah. Right. So um, often when we are connected, we describe it as a state of flow because of the ease of it. Right. That's what, that's where we're trying to get to. We think of energy. What does energy do when we get out of the way? It flows. The universe is just simply there. It simply moves. It simply does what it's supposed to do. Very often we throw this human element in there and we add the baggage that muddies it up. Yeah. So in a way it has the energy of force rather than relaxing into it or but is it really force is force that notion that again, you know, and this is a question that we are in control that we're manipulating that we're exerting. What do we do when we're being forceful? We're trying to impose our own will rather than interacting with what is of service of what ourselves, others in the universe around us. Yes. So how how do you suggest getting into that state of flow? How do I suggest? That's a unique process for each of us, I feel. Yeah, you know, it is. When we get out of our own way, you know, we think of a river. When the river is running its natural course, it goes where it needs to go. If there's something, you know, that gets in the way, it restricts it a little bit, you know, it finds its way around the restriction. It moves instinctively to what it knows is its value flowing forward. When we throw enough restriction in there, you know, you create a different response. That river has to rise. That river has to add all of this extra struggle and energy to get to what it instinctively knows it's supposed to reach. Yeah. 
We do that as human beings. We create those ideas of struggle, suffering, restriction. We limit our own flow. When we get out of our damn ways, we move. When we set that course down a path of restriction and we try to alter that flow, it just becomes harder to get to the point you're eventually going to try to reach. Yes, I love that. The idea of a river. Sometimes I talk about it as snakes and ladders. You know, we have this, we because we do need to cognitively plan our future, like give it, give it a momentum, but then to let go of how it will happen. Sometimes it's up, sometimes it's over, sometimes it's down, sometimes it's back up, but to allow that flow, like you say, like a river and to go around the obstacles instead of allowing it to, or being going into fear and thinking you're stuck. It's just a process. You know, we mentioned that getting stuck. So often we are stuck on that pattern of belief, that pattern of emotional responsiveness, that pattern of thought, that pattern that someone else or something else has taught us. How do we then get out of that pattern? How do we then bring that into our awareness? What I've gathered by being present and being the author of our own story, not following the story of others. That's their lot in life. Insight is often gained when we simply ask questions, when we seek knowing and understanding. If we want an answer, we sometimes have to ask a question. Yes, and true, I feel that adding to the story of of the world and finding our place in it is by going inside and becoming our own individual best self, right? To add to it, not take from someone else. Does it have to be a best self? (laughs) Does it have to be? Where do we learn this story that it has to be a best self? Are we in integrity with ourselves? Are we acting in service of ourselves? Often becomes productive in moving us toward that evolution. Best is a judgment, it's subjective. We're not acting with an objective view of things. We start to filter it, we start to form patterns, we start to form beliefs, we start often to limit our ability in what we believe in best, you know, what is best? Who's best? What best? Where do we form this notion of best? And do we need to truly have this ideal that's a destination to reach? Or are we simply moving into an effective way of being that creates an evolution that creates that joy that brings that fulfillment? Exactly. Cause you're, you're right. The word best limits us the word itself it's disempowering in some ways in some cases if we allow that power to create that resistance if we allow that judgment and expectation to become the sticking point that holds us back from evolving into where we might grow into our potential 
where we might become, what inevitably is out there for us. Right. Because you're right. The word best does limit us at times for even seeing what that potential is, because then we judge that perhaps just cleaning floors or gardening for a year, right, is part of becoming our potential. Whereas we might steer away from that if we think it's not our best self. Are we reaching for some ultimate ideal state or are we aligning our journey to simply evolve and flow forth? Exactly. Now you talk about it being some of these things being right in our DNA. We, we get all of these elements, all of this energy that flows forth with us. I shared a recent conversation with an individual on my podcast where we talked about how as infants or actually before that, as that baby in the womb, we're connected to the mother through our umbilical cord. We're starting to receive that DNA that's inherent in others. In that DNA is their energy, their being, their experience. That starts to form the life we are in. We start to receive through that energy, the emotions, the reactions, all of the other energies and frequencies that's filtering through that mother. We also are exposed to that ability to start monitoring outside sound. How much of our brain is actually processing that? We can go down a rabbit hole. We won't jump down that today. But we are susceptible to start hearing, seeing, experiencing those things from that moment of conception. Exactly. It's in our patterning. It's in the very energy that makes us up. That energy floats through everything. Yeah. And again, just to be aware of it as a homeopath, we're aware of it. If a, you know, a child is at an early age, unable to speak, we often take the mother's case because we realize a lot of her programming or her beliefs or her, whatever she was going through emotionally has been, has been, um, energetically taken yes. on by the infant right yes. yeah yes. and yeah like when mine were very young and i couldn't i couldn't find a remedy for them i would ask what remedy do i need right now and it would often be quite curative for them which is like incredible really you know from that perspective from my own perspective as a parent how effective is it and how much energy is embedded in those actions when we say this is what you should do versus bringing that presence to someone and say be aware of this okay if this were you how would you think feel or respond we automatically set that stage where we're calling into intuition we're calling in awareness we're making that individual aware of who and what they presently are and how that responsibility ultimately flows forth from within them. We're not trying to mirror the pattern. We're not trying to project the pattern. We're not trying to imprint our will and our pattern upon anyone. We are simply empowering them with that ultimate energy force that says, I 
genuinely trust you to find your answer. That takes vulnerability. It takes surrender. Yeah. You mean for each individual to find their patterns? Yes. For each individual. Now that doesn't stand without saying that there are certain things that we also have to interact with, but how we interact truly matters. Are we creating that perception where we've lost that belief in the individual? Don't touch that hot burner. Sometimes it has to be said to disrupt immediately, but the tone and way you say that matters. We know that. We feel those energies. We have to be mindful of that. But by that same token, when that immense immediate danger isn't there, ideally we shift that back to, I trust you, I believe in you, and that emits out. When we show that trust by saying, how would you feel? How would you react? How do you think about this? Opens that individual up to acceptance, opens them up to that vulnerability, shows that I am placing genuine, authentic trust in you, not expectation and judgment. So often we base our notions of trust on, I'm going to form my belief in you or another or another thing based on how it's responded in the past. That's not trust. That's judgment and expectation. Trust is, I have faith in that higher power, in that higher energy, in that simple potential, without expectation, without judgment. That's authentic trust. Yeah. It brings up so many things. Um, like even as parents, right? Teaching our children what is dangerous and yet teaching them to trust that they have this innate ability to know and work with everything on the planet. Like I, I remember when my girls were little, I would constantly in my mind realize I was programming them. Yes. So to make them fearful of certain things that were life-threatening, right? Not fearful, but aware, like you say, of the hot stove. And on the other hand, aware that, you know, they need to say, wash their hands once in a while, but not make them fearful of germs. So like they would spend time in the barn and, you know, they'd be, their hands would get dirty. And I would, I would consciously not make them afraid of dirt and germs, knowing that that had to become a part of them. And our mind creates, um, the, our mind creates the reality. So if you're constantly afraid of germs, for instance, you're going to create that tension inside your body and then manifest illness in a certain way. Yes. Yes. We attract that in a lot of ways. I don't know that we should go down identifying some of that today, but we do manifest so much of what we bring into our lives. This isn't to say that looking back at those patterns, we ultimately look for some pattern to form rationale, to form sense of the chaos. If we don't have that sense of 
being able to interact with things, we're at the will and mercy of chaos. We're at the will and mercy of unpredictability without the, the ability to start to form some method of interacting. Uh, we look back and, and I'm looking to this idea of how we form our perception of reality. Uh, looking to a book called A Thousand Brains. I'm trying to think of the, the author right now. It's escaping me. But in this concept of A Thousand Brains, we form our very notions of reality based on all of these snapshots we create of the world around us. We walk into a room, for instance. We know how to find that door to get out of a room based on our ability to take that snapshot of the room and form sense of it. This is how we also learn to do repetitive tasks. We form that snapshot of how we did it once to be able to reproduce that. It's all based on this sense of subjective reasoning where it's that constant viewing of the pattern. Yeah, so our unconscious mind actually records everything we need to learn and we develop patterns. Like we learn what makes up a dog, for instance. It has pointy ears and fur and a tongue and a tail the shape a certain way. And that's how we learn what a dog looks like. And then we don't have to think about all those things anymore. It becomes like a pattern in our mind. And so that happens everywhere in life. And my understanding too, is that eventually, or possibly if there's an, a strong emotional overlay of something that has made a pattern, then that can be a trigger in the future just by seeing something that was in the background or something that was created, you know, in the pattern forming, and then we can be triggered later in life from our unconscious mind. You know, that role of emotional relationship, as we mentioned, plays such a essential role in how we form those patterns, how we form those beliefs without going too deep into an exploration. One mantra I like to share frequently is think it, feel it, process it, release it. When that emotion presents itself, take the time to be aware of it. Think it. Feel what it's there with. Feel where it's present. Feel what it might be trying to signal. What is this bringing an awareness to me of? Process that. Process, you know, that's so often why we're lured into disagreement. So often why we're in conflict with others because we hit that pattern wall. They did this. I'm going to respond with that. We don't take that moment to calm our mind, to think it through, to feel what I'm feeling, to process what it's trying to tell me and then let it go and then act upon it form a significantly meaningful intentional purposeful interaction not a reaction you're interacting especially when that emotion is the connection with someone else in relationship 
You're in relationship. You're interacting. You're not reacting when you're in your optimal state. Yeah. And that reaction can come from just being triggered by the way someone moved or the room you're in would might remind you of something from your past that had a strong emotional reaction. So often when our responses don't make sense, it's because we're being triggered on that deeper unconscious level. And just to be aware of that, right? There again, we're dragging that past. We're not consciously meeting someone where they're presently at. A lot of times we're meeting them with something that has absolutely no relationship to them. That takes courage to lean into. That takes vulnerability. That takes genuine and authentic acceptance of another without judgment and without expectation. Yeah, like how many times have we heard even ourselves or someone else say, oh, I didn't like that person. There's something in their eyes, right? And that might just be them remembering the uncle or the friend that when they were three years old, that, you know, dropped them in the sandbox or something. <laughs> so it has nothing to do with the person that's in front of them in, in this moment. You know, there again, we're looking at that aspect of releasing and avoiding that sense of emotional reactivity, that trigger response can sometimes bring forth. Much of our learning of what we know about how to respond emotionally is handed down to us from others through our experience, through our environment, through that generational programming. We adopt and adapt their patterns of response. You know, we think about, you know, parents, family, teachers, the world around us, you know, people in our work environments, much of it is present in the daily messaging we trade back and forth. You know, we have to learn to spot that with the awareness that this is not this genuine moment right now. This is merely me reflecting back to what I've known, where I've been, what I've experienced. We have to take that with that grain of salt to say, this is not always the case. This is not where I choose for it to become the case and my choice of how I'm going to experience it. Yeah. Do you have an example, Jeffrey, of generational that you became aware of that may have been passed from even a grandparent to a parent to you? Oh, there's so many you can observe. You know, if you're open to life, we can see these things daily. One of the favorites I like to go back to is that statement, we all do anything. We all are anything. That's a mind trap of generational patterning. That is that subconscious belief that wants everyone else to think, feel, and experience what we're feeling to be our reality. That's a generational patterning and also can very frequently become a subconscious disempowering belief. We all were trying to diminish that individuality of others in some senses. Subconsciously, we're trying to pull them all into that web. 
that's not to say that we're not empowered when we're connected, when we're interacting. But so often our subconscious wants them, needs them, is pulling them into that flow rather than simply allowing that space to be. We're trying to force that belief upon someone else in that regard. That's one of my favorites. You know, we look at other instances that instance where someone says you'll never amount to anything becomes a pattern belief. If we allow that to become a trauma and trigger our belief, if we fall back into that pattern, every time we approach something, that voice comes up, that voice told me, and that's a voice that's supposed to be loving, nurturing and caring for me that I'll never amount to anything. You start to call into question, am I worthy of this? Am I capable of this? Do I have the courage and belief in this that I can do it? Do I have that sense of agency that it's within my reach, within my ability to simply interact with? Right. And so to be aware of that voice that says you will never amount to anything. And then the the forgiveness comes to and seeing it, where it came from, but knowing that that person was also most likely told the same thing, you know, and yes. the, the generation before may have been told the same thing. And so to see it as a pattern that comes forward into your life to heal can be very empowering. Yes. yes. So often, you know, we pick up those ideals when we look at that notion, you don't grow without failure. Whose belief is that? Where was the source of that? Is this a belief that I am adopting? Is this a belief that is truly in alignment with my core value, my core sense of what brings me significant meaning? Or are we looking at the aspect of growth simply as what am I aware of? What do I know? Where am I understanding things? Where am I evolving to? What is the true potential in something? When we start to say you don't grow unless you fail, you're starting to set that belief, that pattern, that course that, okay, I have to do these things and it's inevitably going to fail. You yeah. start to pull in those energies that eventually will self-sabotage that. That may also keep you stuck in obtaining, you know, not necessarily attaining, obtaining is another subconscious belief there into simply evolving into what might become. I love looking at that, that Carol Zwick notion of not yet. We aren't saddling what we might become with that limiting belief that I've either achieved it or I've not achieved it. I've either failed or succeeded. We're just simply saying, this is my purposeful intention in something, in a goal, in a belief that will bring me significant value and meaning that will be in service of me. And that may also be in service of others. Not yet. In that regard, you never have to fail unless you choose to view it as failure. 
did this reach my expectation? Is this meeting my judgment? Is this meeting the expectation and judgment of others? So often becomes that subconscious disempowerment and very often that conscious disempowerment. So often we instinctively know that not to be our own internal truth. Yet we follow that pattern of belief for a number of reasons. You know, that reason can be as unique as every individual. But we allow that belief to seep in and say, but this is just the reality rather than how I am presently experiencing a reality. Yeah. So if you look at that example of you can't succeed without failure, what you're saying is we need to change the way we think about failure even. Do we even have to think of failure? Do we have to even label anything? What is failure? It's a label of something. It is a judgment and a view in how we perceive a certain circumstance or situation. We don't have to set those expectations. We don't have to exert those judgments. It's up to each of us. So how can In we- a group, it's up to the group to determine what is the group's value. And do we have to look at that as, you know, to me, that's, that's like driving the stake in the ground and saying, it is what it is. And this is the only thing it will be. Rather than saying it is what it is in a non-judgmental accepting way and saying, but this is where we would like for it to be and moving towards that carol's wick notion of not yet i haven't limited the potential of it in that regards when i'm thinking in that mode because i'm simply saying i haven't formed that energetic belief that it's done now that's not to say we don't also have that ability to say I have that ability to surrender to something. So often we're loaded with this notion of shame, these notions of judgment that by letting go of something, by releasing what's no longer serving our core values and belief that we've somehow failed, that we somehow not met our potential. We put great shame and judgment so often throughout our culture, throughout society in that notion of, Quitters never win. First and foremost, why are we competing to begin with? When there's enough energy and resource, enough flow, enough abundance, when we just simply open to it. Why then do we block that? Why then do we start to form that judgment that we're not able to open and move toward our potential? We start to put that stake in the ground the moment we say, I failed. Well, yes, exactly. You know, I, um, I went through competitive dance for years and my girls compete in horseback riding. And so through all of that, you experience what, what society calls failure, right? And kids will often give up when they experience failure because the next thing they feel is shame and judgment, and, and that's come from society, you know, placing this belief that you have to be number one instead of just seeing everything as an experience and 
you know, what is failure? It's just an experience and it's just as good as the next experience that might be winning. Right. But yeah, we have these judgments. And so I'm constantly trying to get them to reframe, but it's really hard with the teenage mind and what they've been taught. Right. It's really hard. I'm going to, I'm going to point out there again, we just experienced subconscious disempowerment. It's really hard. Yeah. With that a moment. It's really, I catch myself sometimes. I'm not, I'm not meaning to pass judgment on you. Yeah. But we all do it, right? Yes. Do we all do it? Yeah. Even I've literally (laughs) placed intentional focus on this for the past year. And I still fall into that pit sometimes. Yeah. Not that pit because that's disempowering. You know, I fall into that simple pattern of saying, we all do it sometimes. I still have to catch myself to mentally and physically think, I just said, we all do it. Yeah. Well, we have to be aware of that and say, are we truly all doing much of anything? There are really very few things we all do. it can become that belief that we just drag others into that equation. We're trying to diminish their potential in some regards. It can be the case that we're trying to draw down that sense of worth, that sense of value to bring someone into alignment with where we presently feel that level of agreement. Yeah. So how would you approach someone who just just experienced failure, say in a competitive sport, expected to be in the top three and instead we're right at the bottom. How would you get them to see it in a different way? See it in a different way. Yeah, I'm going to bring this back when you were saying previously this idea about competing, looking to be number one. Yeah. I am one. Jane is one. You're one. Someone else is one. In that regard, we're all a number one. Simple. We're not looking for the validation in winning that competition. We're not looking for all of our value and worth in achieving that goal. Now, I know that's contradictory to most of what we're taught in sports. In sports, we're intentionally, or we should be intentionally, out of our own will, engaging in that act of competing for that end goal. Life does not have to be a sport unless we make it that competitive sport. You can choose to do that. Does that serve you? It might. It might fulfill your core values and beliefs. That's for each of us to determine. If somebody's struggling with that, we have to sit down and say, how can I help guide you to find that answer within you? Is that an answer that came from within you? You know, why did you choose to compete? We have to start there. Why did you choose as a competitive athlete to compete? What was your mission? What's your vision? What's your purposeful intention in doing it? Not your goal. Not what you feel will be successful. What was your purposeful intention? And how does that thing 
bring you significant value and meaning without becoming your soul sense of purpose. Because to me, soul sense of purpose can be very often the biggest trap any of us can step into. We're only here for one thing. That's not to say we aren't only here sometimes for one thing, but I have to pull that in question for me. To me, I don't feel that's living into what I might be potentially available to. To say I have one core central purpose to life that will ever bring me value and meaning for me becomes automatically a very limiting belief. I've experienced a number of things throughout my life. You know, I've been down many career paths. I never looked at them as a failure or success. I just moved toward what brought me significant value and meaning in that present moment. Sometimes the course changed, my involvement changed. Sometimes other people's behaviors, beliefs, and perceptions changed in the course of that. When that change presents itself, how do you respond? I know this is off the path of relating back to that mirror of the competition in the sport. Ultimately, looking at that experience with what do I presently value, presently value, what means something to me right now, what creates a significant value and meaning to me, and how is that in service to me, and then how may I present that to others in a non-expecting way that it might create service for them. Yeah. It's just not something we're taught, right? It's not. We're, we're yeah. drilled. Not very frequently are we taught. We're imprinted a lot of times, a lot of times with that idea. Winning makes us feel good. Well, I mean, there is a certain element there that if you form all your belief, the winning is the only value and meaning or a value and meaning you search for that. Well, yeah, like look at what happens. Everyone claps, you get a slap in the back, you're awesome, you're the best, right? Like yeah. that's what we're, that's, and then our ego mind goes, oh, this is what I want. This is what I want. This is great. This is who I am. And then, you know, when failure comes, no, does anyone, you know, but clap and say you're great? <laughs> That's some form of acceptance, but it's also a certain flavor of acceptance that's also tinted and toned often with that judgment and expectation. With that imposing of someone else's belief and will. Yeah. So to How go back, do we <clears throat> sorry. To go back to the core belief or the core reason why you started and just to get better and that this is fun, right? Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah, as children, we're, we're given a lot of that. You know, we try to guide younger minds, younger human beings toward what we feel is going to protect them, love them, nurture them. Hopefully, if we're not carrying too much baggage, deliver them to their state of fulfillment, their state of joy, their state of ultimate love and how they experience it. But what do we do? We start to try to control that. We try to manipulate it. We force 
expectation. When we expect what happens when the expectation isn't met, we judge. Now, that's not to say that evaluation and observation doesn't have to sometimes come into play. We have to observe things to know them. Judgment crosses that line when we start to expect it and we start to form that belief in it based on what we've experienced. Yeah. So we need to be very aware of when we're layering or attempting to control our children through programming them. Right. Yeah. No, and it's, are we, are we programming and patterning in an effective way that opens and allows this individual to create their own authentic, unique way of being present? That's to me, a different goal that to me becomes a different way of being and experiencing that may ultimately be more effective for others it opens us up to be in service of ourselves and to others yeah and yes service to others you've mentioned that a few times i think it's a very powerful we're not taught that very frequently to be in service of others there can be notions that look at that with that filtered view that it is somehow inhibitive to us i you know i'm being very cautious in weighing where i'm present with this wording somehow we can view that as being inhibitive to ourselves yeah ultimately what we should look for from my perspective is that equanimity or equalness of mind trying to find that common sense of bond, that common sense of purpose, that common sense of purposeful intention. Purpose just meaning that reasoning for doing, being, or attempting something. Not that we're looking to root it on anyone sometimes, but that we are able to witness and observe what these collective meanings create for us, create for others, how those interact and connect. That to me is looking at things from a little bit of a shifted different view than what we tend to commonly see. Yeah. I've, I've, I've found through experience that service to others is actually the opposite of what we've been taught. And you can add to this, but we were taught that, or help me with this. It's it's because it's kind of a deep intertwined subject. But you know, we look at where is that shadow of ego rearing its head? You know, yeah, when yeah. does that sense of self, whether conscious or unconscious, start to say, wait a minute, I feel like this is taking advantage of me. Wait a minute. I feel like this is imposing upon my personal boundary. That's not to say that those senses of personal boundary, personal agency, personal self-concept cannot become effective. That's saying that sometimes we allow that to become 
balanced in a nature where they are counterproductive for ourselves and others. Yeah, because we're we're our ego self or what we're taught is that if we are in too much service to others, we'll be left in the dust. Right? There's that feeling inside that oh, <laughs> I'll be left in the dust. Eventually, we all, you know, from yeah. most perspectives, from most religious contexts, and most ritualistic and culturalistic views, return to dust. so why are we worried about being left in the dust now eventually we're going to be in the dust we come from dust sometimes we return to dust you know varying beliefs very spiritual and cultural practices eventually this physical body ceases to exist and returns to whatever natural state the universe wants for it right so (laughs) letting go of even that fear is like by looking at it like that is is awesome. But um, my experience is that when I, when I ask the universe, how can I help? And it is in service to others that doors open and things flow and the river flows. So it's, it's like um, our beliefs are counterintuitive to what really happens when we, when we do that to that, I'm going to say, amen. Prime example. I'm going to call an example. This is a humble acknowledgement with this podcast of mine, the light inside for two years. Now I have yet to reach out to a single guest to ask them, will you please, I would be grateful for you to be on the show or two years solid. I've been booked six months to eight months in advance with people that are tying into that belief. The sole belief, the sole mission and vision and purpose of the show is to be of service to others in sharing our thoughts and ideas. It's not about me promoting any business venture. It's not about self-aggrandization. It's not about self-promotion. It's not with any objective that this is going to bring notice to me. I said, wouldn't it be great if there was a platform where people could simply unite, connect, and share those ideas and thoughts? When we get out of that way of expecting things and just simply allowing what we do, who we are, and what we believe to be in service of ourselves and others, that energy is released from all resistant judgment and expectation. It becomes that river that simply finds its way and flows. It intuitively knows where it's supposed to reach its destination. We speak out that belief into the universe. The universe says, if you believe, I believe. I'm not going to go beyond that because we are, in some regards, not crossing past that fail that sense of what we know you know is that universe a willful universe or is that universe just simply there letting it be what it is so often we adopt that human perspective that because we have a will on things there has to be a force above us that also has a will that's not me interjecting my belief into it it's just simply saying that so often is the case in how human beings view this existence. Yeah. Yes. And, you know, that's why I brought it, like brought it forward because 
to me, it's what we should be teaching, right? And instead we're teaching competition and how to succeed in a different way, in such a paradoxically different way that is fighting the flow of the river, like in a bizarre way. I have to, for myself, catch myself in this view. Is it for me to determine what should be, or do I simply move in alignment with what I think, feel, and believe to be my truth? Mm. and hope that it's in service of others yeah. that they find value and significant meaning in it. And that's, that's a challenge to me sometimes because we do fall into that pattern of should, could, but all of these other things that can be limiting, all of these things that subject us to our own judgment of ourselves and of others, our own expectation of ourselves and others. How do we then form a better relationship or there again, where do we go when we, when we eliminate that need for better? When do we go when we release that judgment? Because so often I feel we don't quite have our thoughts, our minds, our perceptions wrapped around it because we're so used to following the damn pattern. Yeah. We have to label it in judgment out of some reason. Yeah. Or we think we do. Yeah. So even, (laughs) even when you're living, you know, like what we're talking about, that little voice still comes in and says, yes, but are you successful because of this, this, and this? (laughs) That's a a good signal for us. Anytime you say that, yes, yes. You know, yes is, is definitive. Yes. Is committed. Yes. Is that knowing, but when you start to hit that wall that says, but why has that reared its head? Why am I pausing? Why am I delaying? Not to say that, okay, but when I hit the butt, just make a definitive choice. But that's, you know, (laughs) put the hat there and just did it. That's our opportunity to bring awareness. Where we're not being authoritative with our effort, where we're not being certain, where we're starting to pull that into judgment and evaluation, where expectation might be intervening. If we pull that into our awareness, we have to be more conscious, more focused. We have to sit and linger with it for a while. Yeah. And sort how to either integrate it or let it go, right? Does it serve or does it not? And I love that. Bringing the notion of integration back, you know, we're simply allowing what might be to be and in that regard we we release some of that sense of judgment some of that sense of expectation some of those notions of control manipulation we can often engage we truly allow things to become empowered rather than trying to seek the power yes for you what do you think of when you think of power I, i want to get your input on this one and see what your view is Well, so I can talk about it, what power, I mean, what we often think of power is, you know, having power (laughs) of a situation, having control of a situation, having, you know, power in our own business and that it's succeeding in our, you know, support. But I've come to see power as an inside thing, the 
being able to look inside and see our own light and connect to the universal or the unified field to me that is exciting and it's in it's an inner power and and then from there we become aware of why we're here who we are and to me that's true empowerment i love that you brought those notions in and that insight that we can so often try to seek that notion of control when we think of power when i think of power you know i look at that idea and say where am I trying to seek control or how might something else outside of me be looking to control, influence, interact with me? You know, am I being open and vulnerable to that or am I putting up a resistance and do those two states create something within me that's significantly meaningful? Where do I lean then when I consider how that notion of power is interacting with me? To me, when you move into that field of universal energy you keep bringing up that truly brings us to a state where we are just simply empowered empowered opens us up to that potential free of those judgments again you know free of those expectations free of that idea of control and manipulation that's not to say we don't engage in that sense of agency i'm going to bring that back into that sense of agency the capacity, condition, or state of acting from a sense of empowerment. That sense that I am able to interact and influence from what I choose. Now, that's not to say that there aren't things that sometimes we just have no control over. We have to find that vulnerability. We have to find that acceptance. We have to find that ability then to form meaning of that and create how we react and respond. Yeah. And it brings it right back to what you were talking about in the beginning, which is being in the present moment. You know, that's where you can connect to it and see it. And there's often a connection to the heart, like as well, when you're in that present moment, you know, I like to fall back to this idea. No one knows thyself like thyself. You know, like romanticizing that a little bit and bringing that thy back in there. <laughs> but anyway, you know, how do we form this sense of self in understanding our own self-concept? What do I believe based on what values? What am I aware of? What is essential? What is not to me? What empowers with a sense of meaningful fulfillment and purposeful intention? Is this in service, again, of myself and others? You know, Jane, I'd like to share from my perspective how we can share these insightful key elements to develop self-concept theory, the story of us, when others are viewing it. Are you open to that? <laughs> oh, yes. yes. Go ahead. Okay. I'm just going to share some, some brief bullet points. I don't want to dive into dissecting it because it all kind of ties back to the things we've been talking about. Awareness of self. Am I present? Do I connect with who I am, what I believe, what I think, feel, and how that creates value and meaning for me? Being authentically self-aware. There again, am I being open to who and what I am? Am I creating this 
from my own sense or am I allowing those outside voices and patterns to filter it, change it, and somehow restrict it? You know, and that, that's not to say that there aren't times where we have to be reminded of who and what we are, but we also have to form that connection from our view and perspective to bring that awareness that I am not being integrity with who I am. Developing that, you know, integrated mind state, you know, integrity, again, falling into play there, mind state, not set in our thoughts or our mind set, not adapting adopting the same patterns and merely repeating them on autopilot i am being present with what i'm thinking feeling how i react with those things what is set doesn't move movement creates meaning movement gives us intentional purpose the ability to act agency authorship and ownership you know i want to thank my friend uh, pradeep senga who taught me clarity creates certainty in life. What we are clear on, what we're aware of, gives us that empowerment to become confident in what we do, confident in who we are, confident in our belief in the world and the things around us. Such a great insight in that. Understanding self-efficacy and why that matters. You know, self-efficacy, again, is just One's belief that they are able, or sometimes that belief that you're not able to accomplish tasks and achieve their goals or your intended purpose for it. You know, I'd, I'd like to add that, you know, generally the, the description of that is just the belief that you are able. But I think you also sometimes have to have that belief and understanding that this is not where I'm presently aligned. And then be able to form whether or not that creates a significant value and meaning and how you interact with it. How to dif differentiate an objective versus a subjective self-concept gravitating towards inner subjectivity with others. Objectivity being based on just those hard facts minus how we think, feel, or relate to something. Subjectivity is that state where we're reacting, we're interacting, we're connecting based solely on how we think or feel based on our past experience. You know, I think understanding our own core values, that has to be kind of paramount in creating that sense of self-concept. What brings me, again, significant value and meaning and empowers me with that purposeful intention. Integrating with meaningful, purposeful intention and significance then. Making sure that you're in harmony, those things are interacting to serve and meet what your core values are. And ultimately understanding a truer experience with your ego, realizing when that subconscious is coming into to play, realizing when those patterns of belief are interacting, realizing when you are stepping into judgment, expectation, when you're starting to pull some of those other areas of our being that start to form that restrictive flow. And lastly, simply being of service. 
Are you of service to yourself? Are you serving in a meaningful way others? Are you serving and honoring that higher energy that flows through all the universe? So beautiful. I think we touched on each of those a little bit, but what yeah, a beautiful summary. Full circle. Yeah, yeah. And that to me, it, it gives you kind of a simple bullet point yeah. that anytime you feel like you are falling out of bounds or not necessarily falling there again, you know, we're disempowering it. When you're moving out of integrity with who and what you are, what you believe, your core values, that gives you kind of that pocketbook note to pull up and say, hold on wait a minute, let me take pause, take stock, and bring awareness to where I'm present. It's not giving us a checklist to say, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, and validating it. It's just to simply say, where can I focus my attention and create a meaningful interaction, a meaningful integrated connection with it? Yeah. I mean, in... In summary, that's that's what you do. You hold those two things in your heart, along with the you know the outer information that you shared in those last bullet points. You know, ultimately, I think you know that's what lights each each of us up. <laughs> that light inside, you know, we're yeah. all searching for that light inside, that beacon that guides us, that beacon that is our true, authentic self. <laughs> that's your podcast the light is my podcast. podcast that was my my shameless pitch but in that messaging it ultimately ties back to everything we talked about today yeah. it ultimately ties back to that idea of simply being in service of others in guiding and helping each of us discover and share that light inside of us yeah, such a beautiful message. Jeffrey, how do people get in touch with you if they wish to? I would love people to tune into the podcast at The Light Inside. That's www.thelight.us. Reach Perfect. out. Yep. That, to me, that is like the epitome of where I can be of service to others. To me, that creates the most momentum, value, and meaning for others because you're able to connect learn interact and grow with a community that's looking for that common goal that light inside beautiful and we'll put that i'll put that in the show notes as well thank you so much you. is there any last word of wisdom that you'd like to leave <laughs> i feel I'm like i've started, started a lot of words today you know i'm gonna leave the fact that you know find what lights you up inside Find what creates that significant value and meaning for you. Know it, learn it, embrace it, love it. When something calls that into your awareness, when there's something that causes you to take pause, lean in and listen and understand, is that guiding me toward what truly lights me up? Perfect. Love it. Find that light. <laughs> <laughs> Run to the light. I want to thank you, Jane. This has been such a fun, interesting, and insightful conversation to share with you. You know, I've, I've gained so much today from connecting with you, and I thank you for sharing your energy with me today. Thank you, Jeffrey. 
Same. Loved it. It was like really fun. It was really I'm so great and really Thank empowering. You. Yes. And for everyone out there, don't forget, don't give away your power to anyone else. Be the creator of your own life. Spiral up, spiral out. Mm-hmm.